My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do we game out the potential outcomes of this election? Today, we saw a lot of bets on possible scenarios. Bets being made, I think, frankly, with all that, not all that much information. But let me try to interpret what the buyers and sellers were doing so you understand why the Dow gained 173 points today. The S&P advanced 0.63%, and the Nasdaq climbed 0.64%. And therefore, maybe get some insight into what they might do tomorrow. First, most of today's buyers embrace the concept that we're going to have gridlock. Uh, Most likely gridlock caused by the Democrats taking control of the House of Representatives. Why do investors love gridlock so much? Because historically, when Washington can't get anything done, that's been very good for stocks. But is gridlock really good right now? we got to game this out, okay? On the one hand, we're not getting any more tax cuts with the do-nothing Congress. So once we anniversary of the president's huge tax reform package, that's no longer going to bolster our growth anymore. At the same time, there won't be enough votes in Congress to block President Trump's trade war against China. So that's going to keep puttering along. And the Federal Reserve looks set to keep raising interest rates one hike in December and then three more next year if you own stocks. This gridlock scenario results in a dramatically slower economy. That's the sound of a slower economy. All right, now, it's not great news for the market as a whole, but it's terrific for the highest growth stocks that can keep putting up terrific numbers even during a slowdown. Think Amazon, Alphabet, the Cloud Place, the cybersecurity stocks, and many of the non-semiconductor names like Broadcom and Qualcomm, which are tied to the rollout of 5G wireless technology, not the broader economy. And I could argue that 5G wireless technology is going to go on no matter who's in Congress. What else? Democrats have historically liked biotech while disliking big pharma. Here's an idea. You could easily buy a biotech ETF here. These are all these stocks are always they're just really far down. So I like the XBI. Oh, it will do the job. Although, again, because we have gridlock, I'm not so sure there's much a Democratic House can do for the biotechs. So that's kind of more um, ethereal. What doesn't work when we have gridlock? I don't think it'll be great for the consumer. Once we annualize the tax cut, there's nothing else coming. But interest rates and tariffs are still going to go up. We've seen a tremendous rally in retail. It's been going on endlessly. Uh, It seemed to peter out today. Uh, It could come to a truly screeching halt tomorrow. I'd be very careful here. I bet many hedge funds would like to go long Amazon, which has been down, 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 and go short all the retailers, which have been up, 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 except perhaps the discounters like TJX or Burlington Stores or Dollar General. How about if the Republicans keep both houses of Congress? Well, I got one that is, what? I need you to do this. I need you to go buy the defense stocks. Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, and Raytheon, all, everyone, had outstanding quarters among the best we've seen this year. And yet what happened? The stocks all got clocked. Why? Because of fears that Congress would end up cutting the defense budget if the Democrats gain control of either house. While both parties love shelling out money for military hardware, the Republicans love it even more. So if they can hold both houses of Congress, I expect a roaring bull market in the defense stocks, or at least a cessation of the nasty bear market that's been going on for months now. 
I'd also gladly buy the stock of Boeing, even with the trade war against China, because I believe the Chinese need Boeing more than Boeing needs China. Sure, the company sells a quarter of its planes to the People's Republic, but the wait list for commercial aircraft is many, many years long. And if China wants to switch to Airbus, they'll have to get to the back of the line. And I think demand stays strong because of the growing middle class in developing countries like China. Speaking of the trade war, I know that there are plenty of traders who believe that if the Democrats can take both the House and Senate, they'll somehow put a stop to Trump's tariffs. But wait a second. I think that's a naive view. If a Democratic Congress passes a law lowering these tariffs, the president's just going to veto it. They need two-thirds supermajority to override that veto. While many Republicans represent businesses that have been hurt by the trade war, you need a real bipartisan uh, consensus in Congress to get this done. I don't even think that exists. Put it all together and growth stocks are clearly the way to go. Whether we end up with gridlock or no gridlock, the president will keep pushing China and the Federal Reserve will likely keep tightening, putting the squeeze on businesses and consumers. In that environment, only really the sector that growth stocks can be bought. We also saw some other groups rallying today that make no sense whatsoever. The industrials went higher, but there's no scenario where they work, even as they benefit from the breakdown in oil prices. Maybe that's what people are betting. You remember I said yesterday that I thought the oil stocks would get hurt. Some people are betting that China will be more willing to make a deal if Republicans retain control of the House and Senate. I mean, basically, if the Chinese were gaming our country, hoping that the Democrats would take the houses uh, and therefore weaken the president's resolve. I don't know about that one. I think that's largely based on hope. Frankly, I'm not even sure the White House wants to make a trade deal. Remember, the policy here seems to be containment, and that's not certainly something the Chinese will accept. How about some companies that win no matter what? I like the health insurers because they always seem to come out ahead, don't they? In particular, United Health Group, as it pulled out of the Obamacare exchanges ages ago. But with the Democratic sweep, you can buy Humana, CVS had a good quarter there by CVS this morning, and I like Cigna. I also like HCA, the big hospital chain, no matter what, because it's totally ingrained in the fabric of Washington. No politician wants to start a fight with a hospital or the American Medical Association, which, by the way, is a big reason why our health care costs are so high, or at least so much higher than the rest of the world. Oh, I wish there were more winners, but I keep coming back to the prospect that the president's tariffs automatically rise to 25 percent next year and the Fed tightens four more times to ensure that we get a lot of layoffs. So there's less inflation. If that sounds like economic arson. It should. The Fed has a long tradition of embracing this burn down the village in order to save it strategy. Jay Powell seems like a pretty traditional Fed chief. One more thing. If we get gridlock. There may be a belief that the economy will stall out immediately, so you have to go buy utilities and high-yielding food and beverage stocks. Among these, I like American Electric Power, Con Ed, Dominion, along with PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, and 52-week high Clorox, which had the best quarters of the consumer packaged goods stocks. However, you need to be very careful of this strategy, because if j keeps tightening, these dividend stocks will start falling again. When interest rates rise, they just can't compete on yield basis. Finally, there may be a lot of money bet that, well, wait a second, finally, we're bid on the sidelines for the election we finish. It's time to come in. These are investors who regard it as a classic big bad event that we need to get through. And once it's over, it's okay to buy pretty much everything. Yep, I think many, many investors are expecting a big rally. I would suggest that under that scenario, you play in reverse. You take the stocks that I have said do well in a Democratic sweep or even a one-house win, and you sell them, and you sell them hard. You can keep the Republican stocks, but don't overstay your welcome. Because remember, the next big bad events are the G20 talks at the end of the month, where I think no deal with China will be reached. And then the December Fed meeting, where I think we're going to get a rate hike and a, and a firm autopilot statement that the punch bowl must be smashed to smithereens. Bottom line, whatever way this election goes, now you know how to play it. But unfortunately, the big, biggest issues for this market won't be decided at the polls today because they're the purview of the president and the Federal Reserve, not of you. 
the midterm voter. Let's go to Ted in Georgia. Ted. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I have a question about uh, Paycom Software, P-A-Y-C. It's a human capital management software as a service provider. It's got impressive year-over-year growth, return on equity in the mid-40s, a debt-to-equity of 10%, which seems out of step with, you know, a high-growth company, um, and a 90% client retention rate based on their last couple of 10Ks. Um, Finally, uh, my school uses it, and our faculty rave about the interface. You don't hear people saying how much they love their HR software, but there you go. Right. Uh, but here's my question. It's got a 62 PE, which is about three times its growth rate, and that's far out of step with the pricing of companies that I'm accustomed to buying. So uh, what are your thoughts on Paycom? Well, look, you've obviously done a lot of homework. You're very close to the situation. Uh, the lower price one in terms of uh, risk is paychecks, which yields three. The uh, higher yeah. price spread is Workday. Uh, my wife's on the board of Bucknell, and they instituted Workday, so they're very competitive. Uh, I do prefer Workday, but you could say, well, Jim, that's because you're, uh, you interview Anil uh, Bushri, but I think Anil does a terrific job, so I'm going with Workday. How about Todd in California? Todd. Hi, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, um, out here in California on the West Coast here, I've been eating at El Pollo Loco for decades. Uh, the ticker symbol is L-O-C-O. Yes. The, com- the company just uh, beat earnings. It sits at a 52-week high. They're slowly expanding and have a healthy, affordable flame-grilled chicken menu. And I was wondering, have you ever eaten at one? And yeah, I have. And, you know, I recommended stock. it. I got my head handed to me, and I recommended it, frankly, because I think it's so darn good. But now it's come back, and one of that is because Bojangles got a bid, Sonic got a bid. And you know what? I've got to tell you, I'm with you. I, I mean, honestly, I was wrong, and now I'm right. And you're very right. Hey, let's go to John in Michigan. Michigan crushed. They crushed Penn State this weekend. My friend Adam Schefter was there. John. Hi, Jim. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Enjoy okay. the show. My stock is the only non-statin pill-forming drug that will lower your cholesterol 35%. Experian, ESPR, should be available in one to two years. It's a multi-billion dollar, close to trillion dollar business. I don't know what's holding it back. I don't know. Well, I think what's holding it back, not. sir, is there's competition, uh, uh, Rapatha from Amgen. Uh, name that my chapel trust owns, but I think that there's room. You know, we used to have uh, uh, Tim uh, Malaban on. Uh, they have a, it's a very high risk but very high reward situation. I'm not going to fight you on it because you know how I feel about some of these incredible wonder drug companies with mad money. As long as you're playing when you can afford to lose that money, I think you'll be fine. All right, now you have the scenarios that we can see play out tomorrow. Now you can make sure you vote. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Nucor is down a few bucks from, since the steel company's uh, t- tariffs were announced. So what the heck's happening? Hey, we're going to talk to the CEO about Trump and trade. Then I'm cutting the core of Apple tonight to see what the technicals could be saying about the company. And you know I'm always on the lookout for a good disruptor story. And tonight I found one in the communication space. I'll reveal the name. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When President 
when Trump rolled out his 25% tariff on foreign steel eight months ago, I was exuberant. We figured the steel stocks would catch fire now that the industry was protected from the flood of cheap, government-subsidized Chinese competition. So I told you to buy Nucor, which is by far the best steel maker in America, and the world for that matter. There was just one problem. While the tariff has been terrific for the price of steel, it hasn't done anything for the steel stocks. In fact, Nucor, the strongest performer in the group, is still down roughly 8% since the announcement. And that's after the stock has rallied more than 7 bucks since its recent lows. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, I think the problem here really isn't new core. It's rising interest rates. As long as the Fed wants to keep tightening aggressively, it may be too risky to own any of the steel stocks. But, of course, you want to take that risk. New core is the best of the lot. On top of that, I, although I, I think the tariffs make the Fed more inclined to tighten because they see the resulting higher prices and it makes them want to stamp out inflation. Not everyone agreed with my conclusions including new course management team. While I am worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown, lowering the boom on the steel industry, they're much more optimistic about the impact of the tariffs and the future of Nucor. And I think it's important to hear the other side of the story. So let's check in with John Ferriol. He's the chairman and CEO of Nucor. Find out where he thinks the business is headed. Mr. Ferriol, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thank you, Jim, for having me. All right, John, I want you to, uh, you got the floor. Uh, because, you know, I think that Nucor is the best steel company, but, you know, I am concerned what the Fed might do and worldwide synchronized slow, uh, slowdown and what that could do to the steel stocks. So tell me why uh, maybe I should be uh, more upbeat about the group and Nucor. Well, I think, Jim, you have to look at the overall economy. And we hear a lot of talk about the tariffs. And certainly the tariffs are playing a role in the uh, performance that the steel industry and Nucor in particular is having this year. But the real driver for the performance of the industry and Nucor is the economy. And the economy remains strong. It's being driven by the tax reform, by deregulation, by a very strong energy market. And all of these things are factoring into the fact that demand is good, the economy is good, the economy drives demand in steel. When you look at our demand in the industry this year, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, a, it's up about 2% year over year. So we're seeing a very good year in the industry. And Nucor, frankly, is having a great year. We're on pace, Jim, to have our best year since in, in history, best record year. And uh, we're looking forward to that. We just finished an outstanding third quarter. We had a very good third quarter. We, had, uh, we generated a lot of cash. We generated a little bit over $1 billion in cash from operations. And that's uh, just to put that in perspective, that number in perspective, that's almost the same amount that we generated in full year of 2017, and 2017 also was a very good year for us. So things are looking good. I, I, I'm more optimistic and more upbeat uh, than you on the uh, future of the history, uh, the future of our industry, particularly as we go forward. Okay. We see, we continue to see a, uh, we, we look at, Jim, we look at 23 or 24 end markets. And of those 24 end markets, 23 of them are either stable or increasing as we go into the fourth quarter and the first half of uh, next year. So we, we're still optimistic about the future. Okay, so, John, I, October 15th, Credit Suisse put out a piece that deeply influenced my thinking, which was caveat emptor, downgrade the U.S. steel sector weighting on cautious supply and demand, and then, of course, uh, the Fed saying that they might be willing to overshoot to stop inflation. Those were two things, this report and also the Fed's comments that made me a lot more cautious. You seem to not as be concerned about supply and demand or the Fed. Well, when I look at the demand, demand, as I said, continues to be strong. It's up 2% relative to last year. And the fact that the tariffs have stopped the flood of illegally traded imports, imported steel into the United States 
That's going to be a positive also. If you look at this year, steel imports are down about, about 3.5 million tons. Now, frankly, about 3.1 of those million tons have occurred since January 1st when the tariffs went into effect. So we see imports down, steel demand up, and uh, that, that bodes well for the industry. Should we be concerned, let's say, uh, if you're a shareholder of Nucor, let's say the Democrats take both the Senate and the House. They've historically not necessarily favored tariffs. They do some in some cases. Would you be concerned at Nucor if that occurs? Well, not really, because as I mentioned earlier, the tariffs are a factor, but they're not the driver. The driver is the economy. And as long as the economy stays strong, and I think it will as a result of tax reform, energy, uh, deregulation, as long as it stays strong, demand is going to stay strong. And at the end of the day, Jim, the economy drives steel demand, steel demand drives steel pricing, and uh, we see the economy remaining strong. So unless there's a major change in tax policy, a major change in deregulation, and, and we see a, a sudden and unexpected drop in oil, I think it's going to remain strong. Okay. Uh, any issues involving seasonality that I should be concerned about the steel industry in general? Well, always the fourth quarter, and we've said this publicly, that our fourth quarter will not be as strong as our third quarter uh, due to, you know, historic and normal seasonal factors such as weather and the holidays. So we say that our first fourth quarter at Nucor will not be as strong as our third quarter in 2008. But that said, our fourth quarter of 2008, 18, excuse me, 2018, will be notably stronger in our fourth quarter of 2017. I have one last question. Uh, your sure. policy has always been uh, to uh, reward shareholders with a uh, strong dividend, sometimes even special dividends. Could a special dividend be in the making, given the fact that Nucor is having such a good year? Well, we'll keep you guessing about that, but I will make a comment about the uh, cash that we generated from operations. I mentioned that we had a great cash generation in the third quarter. But when you look at the first nine months of 2018, we generated about $1.9 billion in cash from operations. And of that $1.9 billion, we returned about 40% or just about uh, $700 million to our shareholders in a combination of dividends and share repurchases. So we are returning to our shareholders. Well, excellent, John. You're a stand-up guy. I want to thank you so much for coming on. You've always done a great job, and Nucor has been by far the best steel company in the world. That's John Furriola, Chairman, President, CEO of Nucor and UE. May have money back after the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. If they say wait and see, we will have the mother of all rallies. So, but it'll be the end of all rallies. So then you're saying that's the end right there. It's the end of the rallies. David, <laughs> we will never I, see a rally. Uh, yeah, I have a very long-term view. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Now that Apple's pulled back almost 30 points from its highs to the point where it's no longer a trillion-dollar company, how worried should we be about this stock? Regular viewers know that I'm a big believer in the own it, don't trade it thesis. But I've been so attached to Apple for so long. You know, I was thinking maybe we need an unemotional second opinion on the stock. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonaciQueen.com website. I always call her the Fib Queen. It also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com. 
Take a more quantitative look at the action in Apple. Her diagnosis, she thinks that Apple could soon be ready to rebound. She's probably the only person who feels that way other than me. Perhaps even climbing back to new highs. I'm calling her cautiously optimistic. Why? Because of a little concept called symmetry. Now, Broden often invokes the idea of symmetry when, company, uh, when comparing declines to other declines or rallies to other rallies in a particular security. If a stock has a history of bottoming after it falls, say, 10 points, there's a pretty good chance that it will reverse after the next 10-point decline. Look, I know this sounds simplistic. I, I, it, it, you know, it's kind of like something that you would think a child would have thought of, but wait a second. It can't possibly be that simple. Technicians like Broden don't claim that there's some immutable law of the universe that means stock swings in the same direction tend to be of similar magnitudes. But the Fib Queen's been doing this thing for 31 years, and she's found that symmetry shows up pretty often in the markets. We don't need to know why that's the case. We just need to know that it happens often enough to be worth paying attention to when we're searching for key levels where a stock is likely to change direction, particularly an emotional one that, like, the one that Apple's become. For example, here's something away from Apple. I want you to take a look at the weekly chart of a paint company, Sherwin-Williams. This past spring, Broden predicted that the stock would rally. How right was that? Okay. And, and she was just, well, I've got to tell you, it was perfect. What gave it away? Well, Sherwin-Williams had just experienced a $72 decline. So the Fibonacci queen did her symmetry analysis. The previous decline had lasted $73. The one before that was $76. If symmetry held, then the stock was going to bottom somewhere between $359 and $362. Sure enough, the actual low was made at $362 and change. Now, symmetry doesn't always hold, but when it does, you can catch some amazing moves. Although Sherwin-Williams has now given up most of its gains, I wouldn't be a buyer at these levels. It's too tied to housing. But the fact is, you didn't need to be, right? I mean, look at this. Nice, huh? That was a big move. You wanted to catch that move. She's not saying buy it here. So, uh, so it's not always that simple. But you would be surprised at how often the symmetry method works. In fact, it's worked many times before with the stock that she has really nailed over and over again. Apple. I want you to take a look at the weekly chart. Way back in 2016, when the stock was getting slammed, Broden called the bottom in Apple at $89. It was unbelievable. And it, it, she, no one else thought it that I know of. Uh, and symmetry was one of the things that told her the stock was done going down. Apple had experienced a $45 and change swing from its September of 2012, right here, okay, uh, highs to its lows in April 2013. So when it had declined by a similar amount in May of 2016, Broden suspected that the stock might be ready to change course. We checked in with her in September of that year when the stock was at 104, another dicey moment for Apple stock. And she predicted Apple would climb to 146 at a minimum. Obviously, we we blew past that target. And every other upside target Broden came up with just because Apple's company is that good. Apple's stock reflects that. So what do we do now that it's pulling back? Hey, how about we try the same thing that worked last time the stock had a sustained decline? Remember, last time Apple declined by 45 uh, points before it bottomed. That suggests we might have another 10 to 15 points of downside before the pain comes to an end. What about the rest of her methodology? Remember, Broden likes to measure past swings in a stock and then run them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios, an important series of numbers discovered by medieval mathematician Leonardo Fibonacci to find crucial support and resistance levels. When you do this with Apple, you find two zones, okay? There's a potential floor of support running from 196 to 198 and another one lower running from 186 to 192. If the rally at Apple is going to resume, Broden says, ideally, we want the stock to hold somewhere between that first floor of support, okay, which is just over five bucks below where the stock is currently trading. 
So, you know, you're talking about not that far, at least on a percentage basis. How about the daily chart? Let's look at that. The support level in this short-term pictograph of the action, it looks a little different. The crucial area for Apple here is 195 to 198. Pretty relevant, huh? If the stock starts falling again, that's where Broden would expect it to find support. And that would be, um, let's just say, if it starts falling again, a lot of people are going to think it's going to go down like this. She thinks that's not going to happen. Now, but remember, her methodology applies to both price, the uh, y-axis of the chart, and time, which is the x-axis. Okay, down here. Uh, it's the same formula. She can tell you levels where the stock is likely to change course or dates where the stock is likely to change course, all based on its past swings viewed through this filter of Fibonacci ratios. When you run these past swings through a prism, Broden says you find a cluster of five Fibonacci timing cycles. Okay? All come due this week. In other words, when you put it all together, she expects Apple to make an important low sometime this week. Maybe. Just maybe it already has. Now, before she'd be a buyer, Broden has a trigger she likes to look for. She suggests pulling up a 30-minute chart, a chart where every tick represents half an hour of trading, and then looking for a crossover in the exponential uh, moving averages. She likes to see the eight-period moving average cross above the 34-period moving average. Remember, each period is a half an hour, and that's her trigger what tells her time to buy. But I don't think you need to be that granular. What matters for us is that Apple has a powerful floor of support here. If that floor holds, Broden believes the stock will quickly find its footing and go right back to rallying. As long as we don't violate the recent lows, she thinks Apple can potentially zoom to new highs. She thinks it could go to the 243 area. She's the only one I know who feels that way. Of course, if the stock breaks down below its floor of support, well, then the whole thesis goes out the window. The bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Broden, suggest that Apple might not have much more downside before it bottoms. And that likely it bottoms sometime this week and then starts climbing again. As for me, I think it's too hard to trade in and out. That's not my thing. Apple's a great company with a cheap stock, and I'd be a buyer here because given the size of the company's buyback, I'm confident Apple will be buying right alongside you. Let's go to Greg in Illinois. Greg. Ahoy, Kramer. What's up? Uh, as a boat captain, uh, I'm looking forward to trying your wife's new restaurant, The Longshoreman. Thank you. Um, the Longshoreman lives. Yep. What's up? Yep. Uh, I own TiVo. Uh, I'm down a lot, but it's yielding 6%. Um, they lost a couple lawsuits with uh, Comcast, uh, but they're still signing up partners. Uh, they're also looking to sell the company. Uh, should I hold on to it? Uh. You know what? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that there are better buys. By the way, you mentioned the one that I like for my travel trust. Why don't I buy some Comcast? Okay, work for Comcast. It's terrific. Uh, the stock is up seven. Stock went down seven bucks uh, after they announced the deal to be able to buy. Uh, they bought Sky, and now it's since rallied. And the trajectory has been, as we did many pieces on this, that the stock now outperforms the S&P 500. So that's my story. Let's go to Joe in Texas. Joe. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, before I ask my question, I just wanted to say hello to my son at Texas A&M University. There you go. There you go. Texas A&M. We love Texas A&M. Who loves Texas A&M? Everybody, right? Yeah. No, nah, that's what I wanted. Half-hearted. What do you guys like? <laughs> guys are like, I got a lot of guys here. I like, they like Bevo. What's his name? That dog, uh, cow. All right, go ahead. Yeah, bull. Yeah. Bevo the bull. They like him. I think they're not you and me. What's up? Hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about a stock. I just recently kind of rediscovered it. It's GoPro, uh, symbol GPRO. 
Oh, man, come on, man. You, you know. Okay, so look, the inventory is a little bit leaner. But in the end, I regard that as being too commodity-oriented. They claim it's a big ecosystem. Joe, we're going to say no. We're going to say no to the uh, – we like the Aggies. We do not like GoPro. Let's go to Deanne in California. Deanne. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I have a question about MongoDB, MDB. It's a multi-database uh, platform. It, the IPO opened at tw- around 24 in February. It rose to close to 85, a little over 85 with this run-up. And now it's back down to oh, high 76, I think. It closed out today. And I just wondered, is it too late to dollar cost average? Would you No, no, it? no. We like MongoDB. We think it's a very, very good company. I don't think buying it here is a bad idea at all. Uh, I think that they've had a look. I mean, remember, the stock's up 156 percent. So there are a lot of people who are ringing the register at your end. But when it comes to the business, it's very strong. All right. Apple's not the forbidden fruit that people think it is. The charts suggest the stock will bottom maybe even sometime this week before it starts climbing. You know me, though. I always say, own it, don't trade it. How much more man money at from the cloud, the subscription economy? I'm eyeing one under-the-radar company that seems to fit in to some of the top themes in this market. I'll reveal the name just ahead. I think it could be a big winner. Then, I'm telling you what to expect from the imminent Fed meeting. It's not that positive. Don't make a move before hearing my take. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. the cloud stocks have all pulled back, many of them dramatically from their highs, which of them might be worth circling back to at these much lower levels? Hey, I got a new one for you. It's called Ring Central, which provides other companies with a cloud-based business telephone system. Rather than having the phone company wire your office, you can plug everything into the internet, and Ring Central handles everything. Voice, video, messaging, conferencing, collaboration. Plus, their software makes it easy for users to log in with the same identity across multiple devices and locations, including their own personal phones. Now, just last night, the company reported a very strong quarter, yet the stock was up only marginally today. Ring Central delivered a nice top and bottom line beat. Get this, 33% revenue growth. Management even raised their full-year guidance. But because the cloud stocks have fallen out of favor with the Wall Street fashion show, nobody seems to care. So uh, what will it take for the stock to start climbing again, given these great numbers? Let's take a closer look with Vlad Shmunis. He's the founder and chairman and CEO of Ring Central. Get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Shmunis, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Have a seat, sir. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Thank coming you for on. Having me All right. and saying my name right. Oh, well, there you go. I'm a student of that. Okay, so here's, here's uh, I can go on and on about the revenue growth acceleration, which is six straight quarters, which is fabulous. Thank you. Uh, how you are really trumping a lot of the legacy providers. But I, when I read through all the documents, I saw one thing, and I'm going to mention a team. And you have to tell me what you do for the t- – uh, uh, I wish you could score points for them. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers hired you. So what do they do? Because that's something our, all of our audience will know. Okay, I get what Ring Central does. So what Ring Central does is we change ways in which companies communicate. Okay. Communicate internally within their employees as well as with their customers. Tampa Bay's and we have other NFL teams. Yes, you do three. You have two others, right? We got two others. We haven't announced the names yet. Okay. So um, they are franchises. They are also companies. They have employees. Mm-hmm. They have customers who want to reach out to them and communicate with them. And what we do at Ring Central is we make all of that very easy 
and very modern. Okay, because the reason I meant Tampa Bay Buccaneers have historically very smart ownership. And they have other properties. So it, it must be, I mean, they're the most maybe technologically inclined NFL team from what I can tell. So they must be uh, happy with what? With uh, retention, with uh, how their customers say they're happy, filling the place. What is it that you do that's an improvement? Well, to be a little bit humble about mm -hmm. it, uh, this is a brand new relationship. Okay. So we hope that they will be happy with us moving forward. I will tell you what other companies and uh, uh, customers are happy with us for. Well, how about Financial Times? Yeah, another fantastic name. So what do we do that's different? Okay. We enable companies and people to communicate the way that they want to. What does this mean? They can communicate via any mode, any device, whether it be, like you said, voice, mm -hmm. video, texting, messaging. We have an open platform, which means that people can enable our communications within their workflows. None of this was ever available before, before the cloud came in, and we happen to be leading in the cloud. In your documents, you talk about the competition. And uh, by the way, I mean, one of the analysts compared you to Broadsoft, which was bought by Cisco. Now, I, I thought Broadsoft was certainly legacy, but Cisco's got a pretty interesting cloud business. Uh, have you been able to win business for, uh, from them, or is that really not a direct competitor? We are winning business from them all the time. You are. The number one provider or company that we replace happens to be Cisco, uh, followed by Avaya. So this would be the two major, what we would call, legacy vendors. Chuck Robbins is a competitive guy. How do you know he doesn't step up against you guys? He does. It's, it's a huge field. It's a huge field. Okay. It's a $100 billion market. We are in the lead. All of the legacy providers are in secular decline. Cloud is right. doing well, and we are doing 50% better than than. Cloud on the average, now, so we're happy to be there. Twilio reported tonight, very good quarter. When we were out of Twilio, they showed us, uh, they learned, taught me how to code and how to push things. Uh, now, it, it, can that be a competitor or a frenemy? I don't see the enemy part there. Hopefully a friend. Okay. Uh, so so Jeff Lawson is a partner of yours. I wouldn't say a partner, okay. uh, but he's a great guy. Yeah, number he is, one. Isn't he? <laughs> so he's that's, great guy. That, that's for sure. But uh, that aside, uh, so what Willa does is they enable developers to voice and text and message enable custom applications. Ring Central is taking very different tack of things. Okay. What we do is we replace Cisco, Avaya, legacy software and hardware, broad software for that matter. Mm -hmm. We replace them, enabling corporations of any size, from small businesses to large international enterprises with tens of thousands of employees, we enable them to replace things with a pure cloud-based solution. Twilio does not do that today. Oh, okay, that's fair enough. And then uh, Dimolo, what's that added to your arsenal? Fantastic acquisition, mm -hmm. extremely excited. So Dimelo is you know. a French company that is in the customer digital engagement space. So what does this mean? Yeah. Right. What's digital, digital customer engagement? So people used to communicate mostly via voice. You, yes. know, you have a problem. You right. call your company, United Airlines or what have right. you. Hey, you know, the flight's late. What's happening nowadays, though, is that people more and more want to communicate via other means. Absolutely. Texting, messaging, social networks. Why not go on Facebook and say... United Airlines, hey, you know, where is my... Total you know? agreement. That, exactly. that even I can figure out. That's an emerging field. DeMello yeah. happens to be a leader in that space. All right, terrific. You guys empower a lot that are, a lot of our viewers probably did not realize was Ring Central's brain. 
and I mean, for instance, I'm sure the people who uh, who are uh, struggling season ticket holders at Tampa Bay didn't know. <laughs> if you could win a few games for them, I think then it would really make a difference. Thank you to Vlad Schmunis. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Ring Central, which is a very big disruptor in this business. Bad Money is back after the break. Start the lightning round. I want to invite the men and women of the armed forces to be my guests at our special Veterans Day show on Monday, November 12th. If you have served or are currently serving, please come join me uh, for free tickets. I want you to go to CNBC.com slash MM Veterans Day. There you go. CNBC.com slash MM Veterans Day. And now it is time. And it's time for the lightning round. Chris Roberts, Ralph Rolls, one of the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Chris Roberts, I'm going to start with Steve in Florida. Steve. Yeah, Jimmy, what's up with Selgin? Can I buy it? Oh, my. You know what? I still don't have a catalyst to be able to buy the stock. It just has acted so, so badly. Maybe the Democrats take the House, people buy it, but it's not my cup of tea. Let's go to TM in California. TM. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Thank you for... Good, good. Thank you for uh, taking the call. And oh, sure. you're doing a great job for the small investors like us. Thank you. I want to check in with you to see... About BlackRock, BLK, I got a bunch of leap options going into 2020 and 21. If you look at the last two years, they hardly made 8% return on the money in two years. I know, years, I know, but look, it's now yield 3%. Larry Fink is real smart. I think this is a decent level to get in the stock. Let's go to Jeremy in Maryland. Jeremy. Hey, a big election day. Booyah. There you go. Heartfelt. What's up? Yeah, thanks. Hey, I'm interested in talking about the stock Neo. They had earnings today, and I'm just trying to. I'm big in the electric car market. But I'm not recommending any stocks that are from China because we are in a war of containment against China, not a trade war. Let's go to Luke in Pennsylvania. Luke. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, Luke. I uh, was just calling in about the stock of HPP, Hospitality Property That's Trust. That's got an 8% and yield nice after what I heard flow. from Marriott this morning. I'm telling you, I, I, I don't want to be there. Uh, Marriott's a really great operator, and that stock just got crushed. Let's go to Jim in Massachusetts. Jim. How you doing, Jim? Not How bad, how about you? Huh? All right, all good. I'm, I'm doing fine, thank you. Excellent. I'd like to get you insight on uh, X, please. A-T-N-X. The recent IPO, uh, founded in 2003. I know that sector's taken a hit lately, and they were kind of on pace to hit their first year target, but uh, kind of fell off the uh, the truck. Well, Jim, let me do this. I'm going to have to do some work on that one. That is a biotech company that I've not followed, and to opine on it now would be a big mistake. Let's go to Ivor, North Carolina. Ivor. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? All right. How are you? Okay, thanks. I, my question is with regard to Activision. Activision, we uh, used to was, like it. We've switched horses. We're on take two. We think Red Dead Redemption 2 is just unbelievable and breathtaking. And so we're off Activision Blizzard, and we are on to TTWO. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer. Yo. Hey, hey Dave. How you hey. been, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Ah, pretty good. Thanks for asking. What's up? Jim, you like the stock in the past. Some bumps along the way. Recently, it acquired Canadian winter and footwear and apparel manufacturer Bassett. 
So, Jim, stay the course or fly south for the winter. I want, no, Goose. I want you to stay, stay on Canada Goose. I do like Columbia a little bit more. You know, we just had Mr. Boyle on. I think they tell a better story. But I think, I think G-O-O-S is a winner, not a loser. Let's go to Carrie in Tennessee. Carrie. Yeah, hey, Jim. I'm a first-time caller, long-time watcher, and I have a question about Arena Pharmaceuticals. Um, I've been in and out of arena for years back to Jack. Yeah, but that train has left the station. That train has left the station. I mean, no, no, it's too late for that. Too late. Let's go to John in Arizona. John. Hey, John. Yes. All right, John, you're up. It's Jim. John? It's Jim. Jim Jim Kramer. Yeah, Jim Kramer. Yeah, we're going to make money. What's up? Hey, 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 thanks for everything, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, uh, my, my stock, Amarin. Uh, A-M-R-N. Oh, man. No, 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 no. I mean, now, Amarin, I mean, just so we like, well, why is he? No, 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 no. I mean, this stock was at like three a couple of months ago. Now it's like 22. I would call us not early. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When the Federal Reserve meets over the next couple of days, will it be a one-two punch? Or a reset? I think we'll hear Jay Powell talk about his commitment to four more rate hikes despite the slowing in corporate America caused by rising transportation costs, president's tariffs, and some supply chain issues. This earnings season, we've heard company after company cite rising costs, higher ethane prices thanks to a freak spike in natural gas, higher steel costs because of the tariffs, higher freight costs because we have a shortage of truck drivers. Fed wants to tighten in order to stamp out all of this inflation, but higher interest rates won't actually solve many of these problems. I wonder if the Fed knows that, say, WellBuilt, the maker of cooking equipment like ranges and griddles that we've had on, reported a sorry number last night. WellBuilt, why? plagued by the steel tariffs and transportation costs. Well, they check in to see how Cisco, the gigantic institutional food service player, missed the quarter last night thanks to higher transportation costs. Another tough quarter met with selling. How will higher rates help them? Did Jay Power hear what Clorox CEO Ben O'Dor had to say right here on Mad Money last week? Take a listen. We're missing about 50,000 truck drivers in this country today, and that's because the job of a truck driver is less attractive today than it was years ago. And as a result, for every available truck, there are seven available loads, and that's two to three times higher than years ago. So that all puts pressure on the supply chain. Every day we get these reports, and every day I get the sense that there are actual living, breathing people who believe that somehow higher interest rates will make transportation costs go down. But even if there's less demand because the Fed has slammed the brakes on the economy, we'll still have a shortage of truck drivers. That's the one-two punch I'm afraid of. Even with rates kept steady here, companies will stop expanding their operations for fear that business is peaking. They'll cut back when price increases don't stick and goods pile up unsold. Sure, the Fed can accelerate this process, but do we really need them to turn a mild slowdown into a worse slowdown? Honestly, the trade war with China is already doing that job. Frankly, I, I got to tell you, I'm hoping that the Fed recognizes this, in which case maybe they'll change their minds about the need for three more rate hikes next year, and we have a nice rally. I think all of our policymakers should be focused on getting the supply chain working again. That's how you stop it. transportation inflation. Yes, and I know there's employee wage inflation, but it's not that much. 
It's these other costs that are always being cited. If the trucking companies can't find enough drivers, let's find out why. If it's because people don't want the jobs, maybe the government needs to create some incentives to get people behind the wheel. Maybe we need to accelerate the rollout of self-driving trucks. I've got to tell you, 50,000 new truckers would do a lot more good than 50 basis points in the Fed funds rate. How about energy costs? While oil's already coming down, it would be a lot cheaper if the federal government were more encouraging toward pipeline construction. We have all this oil and gas sitting in fields that don't have enough pipe. A little more construction and we could bring it to market. But this administration has been surprisingly discouraging toward new pipeline development. Isn't that odd? The idea that ethane costs have gone through the roof is insane when we have the most plentiful supply of natural gas on Earth. We flare so much of the stuff you can see it from, uh, you see it from the moon. But we don't have enough infrastructure. That's it. Even once we put election season behind us, I doubt Washington will do either of these things because transportation costs are a boring, nonpartisan issue. And very few politicians care about the non-ideological, nitty-gritty that's causing the true escalation in pricing. Stick with me. Okay, we got a couple real good ones tonight. Twilio, you know we think that Jeff Walsh doing a great job. A remarkable quarter. And then Etsy, Brooklyn's own. Again, with a nice beat and raise, but Zillow, not so hot. Like I said, there's always a market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.